This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, auto thefts are up 300% in Canada. What can we do about it? Sergeant Greg O'Connor, an OPP officer with the International Association of Auto Theft Investigators, joins us for an in-depth look at car theft in Canada and how they go about it. Handy Andy Barrar knows everything he can about his body thanks to a DAY genetic test. He tells us about the Helmegan test. Plus, is it time for seniors to have some fun on social media? All of that with Handy Andy. And are you okay with snails and more? It's all in the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. We've seen it in the news. In fact, I've shared an article for shiftheads.ca from Global's crisis on auto theft. Uh, Cars are being stolen all over the place. And I don't know, is it criminality or opportunistic? In today's world of buying new cars, we have a situation where there's not a lot of new cars to go buy. It's put a lot of stress on the used car market. Finding a mechanic in some places is very difficult because there are so many people that are just driving older cars because of a lack of supply and all the things that have happened in the last few years. So you take that and you put a squeeze on cars and the people that want to take them from you and sell them overseas, they're also in a bit of a bind. They have to work harder too. Plus technology, plus opportunity, plus different driving habits because we're working from home. And that's where we welcome in Sergeant Greg O'Connor. He's with Peel down by Toronto. And uh, in and around cars, you spend a lot of time chasing, not literally chasing cars, but chasing stolen ones too, Greg. Thanks for being here. Yeah, no, no worries. I'm uh, glad to be here and hope to uh, provide some insight and get a uh, get a perspective on uh, you know get the scoop. What's going on with this stuff? Yeah. So, well, cars. I mean, uh, are you seeing it in your neighborhood that there are more cars going missing than than we've seen lately? Absolutely. Uh, not even just uh, you know, I live uh, with an hour drive of the GTA, and uh, it's affecting here. It's affecting uh, you know the province. It's affecting the greater Toronto area and it's spanning across Canada. We're seeing uh, the, the numbers are just climbing and increasing. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things I'm, I'm out on the road right now as a, uh, as a patrol supervisor and uh, you know, it's nothing for three or four cars in a night, um, you know, the younger officers to come across them and uh, query the plates and they're stolen Um with the with the, the rules and regulations and things that go on, you know, we're not uh, we're not pursuing them when it comes into the safety of public interest and and that aspect. But uh, no, unfortunately, it's since the pandemic, it's driven a, a massive boom in relation to the supply and the demand of the vehicles, and we're seeing a lot of them. Uh, unfortunately, way too many uh, being stolen uh, from the hardworking people that are uh, that have them. Yeah, trying to pay for them, trying to keep them. Um, so while we've seen and I, I'm going to connect dots here. I'm not going to ask you about general crime stats because that's not what we're here for. But we have seen some of these other storylines about, you know, violence on transit and, you know, the, some of the different drug related things and, and all of that. Tie that back to cars. Are I mean, when you talk about cars that are being driven, that are stolen, um, you know, whether it's joyrides or or reselling or whatever's going on or committing other crimes, are we seeing the these stolen cars being used to commit other crimes and i feel like that's kind of like an old school look or are we seeing these cars getting taken to get put in a container and shipped elsewhere i mean what what are you discovering there because i imagine it's indicative of who's driving the car when you run the plate yeah no 100 percent um you know we are still seeing the opportunity like the opportunity thefts that do come in where you know the the delivery driver leaves their car running and just walks up to the front door in a you know a a different neighborhood or um you know people walk in run into the store just to get some food or take out food stuff like that leave their car parked uh you know with the keys in it running at the uh at the curb or even if they just leave the vehicle running with the you know the remote access now and stuff like that they walk in and they believe that they have the key fob in their pocket the vehicle is not going to be driven away but um you know we do see those opportunity thefts but uh and and we also see the vehicles that are be that are being stolen to commit uh you know your 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 central uh your central robbery aspect uh investigations um in relation to you know your pharmacy robberies your hold up robberies for banks uh your cell phone store robberies um in that aspect but uh over the years it's it's 
astronomically blown up in relation to the exporting of the vehicles. The the mm. market is just supply and demand has has blown everything out of the water. Um, you know, and it's it's you know it it's I, I I would probably say I'm not I can't give you a specific stats in relation to it, but I I based on my experience I would probably say 90% of the vehicles that are stolen are at this time right now are are probably destined for export. So I would imagine today's world with the way VIN numbers work and the fact that you have easy access to all things VIN number. I mean, most people don't understand that you can, if you're shopping for a used car and someone says, you know, you don't even have to ask them, hey, does it have air conditioning or does it have heated seats anymore? You can just go to a website, search the VIN number, and it'll tell you the whole trim line of the car. So you know what's supposed to be in the car. So access to data makes a big difference on the kinds of cars We've seen that in Ottawa, where in neighborhoods that you would see that after a snowfall, all of the snow would be cleared right on the VIN. And people seem to, I'm assuming, go through the neighborhoods and take pictures of the VIN numbers, I'm assuming to do research and decide which cars they want to steal because they would carry the most value. Now with that though comes, you can't just go province to province with a stolen car anymore and try to register it somewhere else. It's all connected. You can't do those things. There was a story in Surrey recently where that man got shot and they found that car burned out a couple blocks away, probably a stolen car used in the crime, burned out for evidence. And that sort of old school gangster notion of, of cars. It seems to me, Greg, the only way to sell a car is to get it out of the country and get it out of that network. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Um, you know the the unfortunate part of this stuff is, and 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 you you hit the nail on the head when you talk about it is, you know, run a VIN through Google, check different things. Um, I can tell you right now through the investigations I've done in in auto crime, and you know I'm going back in, so I'm kind of I'm still kind of back and forth with different things, um, and still assisting, you know, the unit and agencies and stuff like that, um, and alliance partners. Um, you know, through the, through the insurance agencies, through contacts, through networking with, uh, you know, Northeast IATI and the different things like that. Um, and also just the experience, you get to know people over the years with different things. Um, it can be as simple as like, just, just Google event, look into it, throw it onto the internet. You'll see, you'd be surprised how many times, uh, you know, myself as an investigator, I get a VIN that's a false VIN that's registered or a duplicate VIN that's registered here in Ontario. Uh, and I see that it's registered in the States, uh, advertised mm -hmm. for sale in the States, different things. So, you know, I hate to say it, but, uh, you know, we're, I'd like to think we're pretty savvy when it comes to doing different things, but, uh, you know, the criminals always seem to be one step ahead in, in, you know, their, their pursuit of making that dollar and trying to, uh, you know, circumvent the system and, and making an honest, uh, honest living in this aspect. Um, you know, and we're seeing a lot of the, the vehicles being exported are funding in my belief uh you know it is coming back to organized crime it is coming back to um you know overseas issues whether it be uh you know trying to get some cooperation and garner co cooperation with the uh, with them overseas but it's uh it's hard to get a vehicle repatriated once it gets put in a container and put back but you know the, the simple google searches the technology and the stuff that's out there um you know, I hate to say it, but unless you're buying from a, a reputable dealer, um, you know, and, and I'm going to be honest with you, there's been investigations that I've been in where we've we've gone and the vehicles haven't been looked at. They've been bought through online uh, car services or different things yeah. like that, then traded into a dealership. Um, you know, and people bought the dealership, bought a vehicle from the dealership. We discovered that it's a fraud um, and they're getting their money back. Of course, the dealerships are paying them, but it's it's ultimately costing the consumer in the end uh, in that aspect. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and not to mention, you know, if you're going to steal a VIN number, a, a bad, a bad criminal will take a VIN number off of a red F-150 and put it on a black Civic. Um, a good criminal would take a matching vehicle, uh, type lookalike close to the year, same color, similar color and do that. So when it comes up, they'll say, Oh no, it actually comes up as dark gray, not black. Oh, okay. Well, it looks black to me. I mean, think about that. How many times have you had that conversation when you go into the registrar and you're doing you're doing that that work at the registry, right? So those kinds of things seem readily available. There was a story that we had when selling cars, and we were selling 
uh, a Ford, I call it Ford Exploder, Ford Explorer. Um, and we had all kinds of people reach out about the car. Can, you know, what's the VIN number? And we'll say, well, no problem. Uh, you know, if you want to have a, a Carfax or whatever, uh, we'll run the Carfax for you. Okay, well, I, I don't like Carfax. Go to this website. And then they run the VIN there. And they're even stealing money from you there because they have no intention of buying your car. They just own the website that you're paying $35 to to run your car history. So I've seen that. We've seen that ourselves just in our in our 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 lives. And so theft happens in many different ways and not just stealing your car because of these VINs and access to info. Yeah, no, it, it does. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things, get your car inspected by a, a trusted mechanic, somebody that you are willing to, you know, sit there and whether they be a, a friend or you got to pay them a bit of extra money to get them to look at it. If you're going to go and buy something secondhand, you're buying something not from a dealer, uh, you know, a curbsider or whatever it may be, get the, get the vehicle inspected and checked. Um, the VIN numbers, they are, you know, they're, they're the birthmark of, of whatever the vehicle is, right? It's uh, those, those 17 characters are unique to that, that individual vehicle. Um, but I, I hate to say it, but the, the technology has changed and it's, it's the counterfeiting um, has definitely made us more aware of how easy it is um and you know essentially a lot of these guys it's uh the technology's there now you can sit here with a with the hp printer or a printer of any kind um you know and print labels right uh, right off your own you know your your mac or whatever computer you have um for that vehicle right you can scan mm. it as a, as a pdf and you know, a little bit of a little bit of doctoring and some paint and stuff like that. Uh, or if these guys are really good at it and 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 know what they're doing, they're they're fabricating all these things. So the technology's definitely um changed, obviously. And you know, there's no fewer and and far between uh anything with a key start, uh with convenience, right? We all want convenience, we all want technology. Um, you know, we'll see what happens if we do go to an all electric system and stuff like that. Um and see what happens in that aspect. You know, there's, yeah. I'm sure there's still going to be some way to circumvent the system, uh, you know, whether it be through obtaining the vehicle by fraud or, or different things like that. Well, it, it is technology. Like you said, has changed so much. Detective Greg O'Connor, uh, he's from Peel region. The, the, the technology, the old smash and grab, right? The old screwdriver to the ignition of the old days, the no, the old, uh, the movies reaching under the dash and connecting a couple of wires and driving away. Um, those days are long gone are, you know, with apps and, and everything else is that as a, as an officer, is, is that incredibly infuriating to know that these guys can walk up to cars and just go scan, scan, scan in a matter of seconds, be driving it away. And they're not having to do smash and grab. They're basically just getting into it. And the car thinks that they have a key. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it is frustrating and, uh, and I'll, and I'll be honest with you, um, you know, it seems to be uh, kind of a, a repeat uh, cycle with a lot of this stuff. You know, the uh, it's like having a shower, right? Rinse, lather, and uh, and repeat. And repeat um, with a lot of these individuals or like the the skills and the trades they do. Um, you know, technology's made things so easy. Whether they're amplifying a signal, um, you know, which is commonly known as like a relay theft. Um, a, a majority of a lot of the ones that we do see, though, are still the physical attacks where they're still going through the driver's door, um, you know, circumventing the tumbler and then uh, plugging into the OBD port and stuff like that, driving off. Um, you know, we do see the the amplified response and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, no, 100%. Uh, it is. It does get frustrating. Um, the technology is there. There's a lot of things that people can do in relation to that. It's, 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 there's no finger pointing in this. It's, we can't sit there and finger point to you know, a manufacturer or legislation or, uh, you know, different people. It's kind of like a cooperative effort on everybody's behalf. You know, if you have a garage, put it in the garage. Um, you know, mm -hmm. some people don't have that, that fortune, but you know, as, as silly as it is, and I've seen it before, like it's a deterrent, right? Throw the old school club on. Um, I have seen, and I'm, and I'm going to be honest with you. I've seen where the steering wheel has been cut, where they just take a hacksaw or a grinder and they're in there and, they're, they're cutting the steering wheel and then just bending that top end of the steering wheel to get that club off. Um, really, eh? 
there's 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 a lot I've seen over the years. Um, you know, and and I'm no I'm no uh, no expert or or anything in that aspect. I, you know, I've got a lot of experience and some good uh, good projects and had some great teams uh, to help. You know, us obviously with some some great accolades that we've achieved uh, as a unit. Um, but no, it's hundred percent. It, it like Shane, it, it's extremely frustrating, and especially to see. You know, you deal with an individual one day, and and the next day they're right back out. Um, yeah, and, and and again, and 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 we do see a lot of that stuff. And I know um, across Canada, and I know the uh, OACP, Ontario Association Chiefs of Police. Um, you know, there's been discussion in relation to bail reform and and a bunch of other hot topics. Uh, you know, the 51 million dollars they want to put into uh, you know combating auto crime and and putting the tools in place and doing these things. Uh, all the services now that are, you know, stepping up, you know, investigating auto crimes, um, you know, up until this, you know, probably the last eight to 10 months, there's two services in Ontario that were investigating auto crimes, Peel and hmm. York. That's it. So really, eh? with dedicated teams. So that makes a, makes a huge difference. And, and you see everybody else jumping on board um, because it is like the, the, the latest news report that just came out is going to be over a billion dollars um in effect for you know the insurance companies and stuff like that so the stolen vehicle gets stolen you know it gets revinned um you know and, and people are savvy the dealerships there's dealerships out there that are selling these things they're refinancing them so you know you got a stolen vehicle that's you know potentially five to ten thousand dollars by the time it makes its works works its way through the criminals in that aspect and then it gets to a dealership and get financed for $30,000 to an unsuspecting buyer or even, you know, another criminal entity um, or organized crime group in that aspect. They do that. And it's a, it's a way to kind of filter and launder money with in-house financing or, mm-hmm. you know, even through financial institutions, right? It, I've heard that. Yeah. You got guys, they'll go and they'll buy a car. They'll get a loan for a car. And um, they'll take that car um, and they'll put that car away or they'll sell it or they'll refinance it through somewhere else. And then they take that cash, they invest the cash into something else and then they pull that extra cash back and then they pay off the car and that's how they launder money. Like it is, it is full on criminality when, when you dig into it. Um, although, Greg, question, personal question is that, I mean, you see these people. Okay, so there's the odd person that buys a car, like you talked about, that the steering, they, they go in there like, hey, here's my new car. And you're like, as a police officer, it's stolen. You're like, how did it, I had no idea. And then you have to say to them, your steering wheel was cut with a grinder when you bought it. That was, should have been your first clue. Okay, so that one's obvious. <laughs> we'll yeah. leave that one alone. But then you have these other folks. You have these other folks that they, it's the fourth car that you found in your unit in the night. It's another stolen car. And it's maybe a repeat offender that you've already talked to, like arrested, chased, whatever, five times this month. And then you see that person sitting there. I mean, you didn't sign up for this to be anything. I always use the word guardian, but you didn't sign up for this to be anything but of service to the community. And then you can't say anything to that person to make him feel better because you're going to be blatantly lying if you said that you're special and this is the only time this has happened today, right? Like now you're going to be lying to them, so you can't do that. And yet at the same time, you've still got to find that in your gut to be compassionate and empathetic to what they're going through. That must be really the hardest part of it is the humanity of it, even though it's just a a car. Yeah, it it is. And, you know, I'll I'll be honest with you and you know, us doing our backgrounds and our checks and different things like that. When we do find the the revin vehicles or, you know, the stolen ones and stuff like that, you know, and you feel for the people that, you know, legitimately went and spent $30,000 and bought a vehicle because somebody gave them a sob story that, you know, they're knocking ten dollars or $15,000 off the car because they need to go back to their, you know, you know, say they go back to their home country because they need to offload the car, they're out money and all these different things. Um you know, and you know, you can understand those people. They're not mechanics. They're not ones that go and look at the look at the vehicles. They're not going to be ones to inspect it. You know, they get two two keys with the vehicle, um, different things like that. You show your empathy and your compassion to those individuals when uh, when you come across them. And 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 I'm going to be 100 percent honest with you. There's times where we go and you know you're taking a, a Range Rover or a Porsche off of uh, you know can be anybody from. 18 to 40 years old that 
doesn't have a job that is living, you know, somewhat on assistance or, you know, they're living their life through other criminal means, mm. Um, mm. you know, by trafficking drugs or they're involved in stolen property or breaking enters or different things like that. Um, you know, it's, un- it's unfortunate. We do have things where, you know, people are driving these stolen vehicles, they commit crimes with them and, and, you know, they ultimately, um, you know, meet, meet their, meet their ends by criminal aspects and they crash. And then we inspect the vehicle and it's like, okay, well, all right, well, we determine this is a stolen vehicle. It's a revamp. Mm-hmm. Um, there's other ones where, you know, you go out, you find them and, and you know, they're into the, to the criminal aspects, the criminal means. So it's, it's a lucrative thing. And those guys, like you, you change your hat. It's no different than, uh, you know, our daily job, you go and you deal with different things, you hold the door open for people, you have a conversation with them. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'll tell you right now, and you ask anybody, I'm a pretty social guy, I'm out doing a lot of things, um, involved in, in different things, you know, I'm, in, I'm involved in IATI, um, because I choose to be, it's a great organization, it's got some great leaders in it, um, and people that support and network people. Uh, it's the same thing, I'm involved with Special Olympics Ontario, with our law enforcement torch run program and stuff like that. So you learn to be compassionate and dealing with different things. I had a unique upbringing. Uh, You know, my father was a a funeral director. So, you know, I grew up in a small town in that aspect. So you come and you deal with things. And that's helped me with my career and my training as well. I like I got on when I was 21 years old. So you do the different things. You get the compassion. The, The toughest things I'll tell you right now as a police officer and what I've signed up for is probably going and doing your uh, your your next of kin notifications. They're, yeah. they're, they're probably the worst. And, and, you know, and I grew up around that stuff. So it's, it's hard when you're going and knocking on a doorstep, you can't help, but, you know, choke back and get a little emotional at times. Right. So, um, you know, we sign up to do the job we do, um, and to make a difference. And, you know, we always sit there and we, and we say the new guys that come to our shift, we ask them as well, like, you know, why do you want to, why do you want to do the job? Well, I want to make a difference in my community. I want to do different things. Well, do you want to arrest bad guys? Do you want to like, you know, make a difference in the community and and provide, you know, safer streets for people and and stuff like that? Um, You know, and afterwards they sit there and they go, yeah, well, 100%. Okay, well, be honest, say that stuff, right? It's uh, one of those things. So, yeah, own it, declare it a little bit. Uh, That's a good advice for young people, too, is that sometimes you just have to declare it to make it be, right? Yeah, and and, and, and don't be afraid to admit when you're wrong. So if you're wrong, you're wrong, own it, step up. You know, you got to... You know, you're you're given. Uh, you know, we get uh, you take the oath and you and you swear the different things to be able to sit there and say, okay, yeah, I, w- I want to do these things for the community. I want to I want to do different things. If you make, we're all human. We're all going to make a, a mistake at some point, or we, you know, at some point in your life, everybody trips going up a stair. So, yeah, one of those things. Yeah, the question is, is do you fall down or do you kind of run it off like uh, like we all do and, and try to take it on, right? So that's cool stuff, uh, Greg, because that's how we all do. Uh, Greg O'Connor, one last question because it's a Hollywood question about car theft. Um, old school chop shops like we see in the movies, is that a thing of the past because it's just faster to get the car out of the country in a container or do we actually see those those parting out scenarios still? No, we still see that. Um, you know, I've done uh, at the... At the uh, the fortunate uh, times to do some investigations with some things where, you know, parts are, are stolen for order. It's no different. Uh, it is like you say, the Hollywood, uh, the Hollywood thing, like it's, it's, it is gone in 60 seconds. It's the same thing. These guys are fulfilling orders. They have specific vehicles, makes models, time frames. containers are on weight, um, you know, different things like that, but the chop shops are still there. We are seeing a lot of that. Um, you know, when it comes to the crash vehicles, the different things, you know, you're uh, not trying to be brand specific or anything like that. But, you know, the more the vehicles are out on the road, then, uh, you know, the number one sellers, your F-150s, your Civics, your uh, different SUVs in that aspect. You know, like I don't even think many car manufacturers are actually legitimately making uh, sedans or sport cars anymore, right? Everything seems to be going to a to a hybrid SUV or or pick crossover up or something. Yep. Yeah. So we, we do see a lot of that, um, in relation to the chop, like the, the front clips, uh, motors, transmissions, um, you know, when I speak of your front clips, I mean like your headlights, your airbags your different things. They're like expensive, that. right? It is. Headlights are expensive. Brake lights are expensive. The moldings. Yeah, it is. And it, it's the, the supply and demand chain and especially everything with COVID has, has dropped, you know, you couldn't drive, around a dealership in the greater Toronto area 
um, and see more than 10, 15 cars on a, on a lot for, you know, months on end when you used to drive by and you'd see three, 400 cars sitting there ready, yeah. ready for resale or ready for sale. So, yeah. Overflowing. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating, Greg. I, I, I appreciate your work. Um, thank you for the service that you do give for your community members and, and sharing it with us here today and good luck with the, uh, the new, the new work and the new teams. And, um, I kind of want to say, go get them champ. Like we, we appreciate the, um, we appreciate the, the extra work and the honesty about it. So thanks so much, Greg. Yeah, no, thank you very much, Shane. I appreciate it. This is the shift podcast. So Maury Povich has launched an at-home paternity test. It's called The Results Are In. Perfect. And uh, Handy Andy's uh, launched his own paternity test. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Although Andy did do a, he did a DNA test and uh, turns out he's Irish. So it worked well. Yes. Yes. That's actually true. (laughs) You, you watched the video. I love that, Shane. I didn't. I was just guessing. I was trying to be funny. Hi, Andy. How are you? Yeah. Did you did you really guess that? Because in the I results, and, and we'll talk about this, um, but in the results, I did a, an at-home DNA test. And when people think about this, I know they automatically think about your ancestry and you know what the DNA test will tell you about that. But this one actually takes it a whole next step. They'll tell you your predisposition to certain diseases, your personality traits, wellness traits, pharmacological compatibilities, like what kind of drugs would work for you and which ones you should avoid. And um, so I, I, I saw this test and I'm like, wow, it's taking all of these different things and factoring them in, in one test. Could it really be valuable? So I took it and sure enough, it does talk about ancestry and there was a little bit of Irish blood. It was about 9%, which, wow. which is interesting because I'm Punjabi, I'm East Indian. My family is from India, but the British did come to India. So there was mm-hmm. a breakdown that I did have some some genes that came from the UK and some from Ireland. So things you things you learn about your genes that you would only Lesson know from taking one a genetic test. About your newfound Irish descent is that some Irish would be offended by the fact that you said that the British came, therefore I'm Irish. That that could get you into a fight, just to be clear. That, Not everybody, but some. Um, and, uh, and yeah, cool. Hey, maybe we're related. Maybe that's why we get along, buddy. Maybe we're brothers. It it could be, but here's what I found interesting about this test. Because I talked about this a long time ago when I first heard about it and the way it works, you can actually buy this on Amazon. It costs $200 for their ultimate test. And it's basically, they send you this kit. You put a little saliva sample into it as prepaid postage. So you just put it in, send it to the mail. And then about four to six weeks, you get your results and it all comes down um, on an account that you would sign in on. And it tells you a lot. For example, your dependency on alcohol, nicotine and caffeine, all three of them, you can learn how your body reacts based upon your genetics on all three Mm. substances. And from mine, the, the results came, Shane, that. Uh, for alcohol dependence after prolonged consumption, I have higher than average likelihood of excessive mm. alcohol consumption, which mm-hmm. when I think about it kind of makes sense because I don't drink often, but when I do, I drink a lot and it's all in my genes. So I can, I can blame my, my dad for that one. Yeah. I'm going to blame <laughs> my dad for that one. It's on his side. Nice. Every time I would go drinking with my dad and he, I'd be like, Hey, should we have another one? He'd be like, son, can't fly on one wing. So that's very think, good. That's yeah, good. Dad I think stuff I know right where there. it came from. Yeah. Okay. So online test, uh, you do your thing, you send it in. Aren't you a little bit afraid that your results are just going to show up in chat GPT and somebody's essay for high school one day? Yeah. And this is a great question, Shane, and something that I wanted to look into because when we're talking about DNA, privacy becomes a huge concern because there was a company that just bought ancestry.com and now they have access to that entire uh, genetic pool. The thing about these genetic tests, and I looked really detailed into it, and this one, tell me, Jen, I looked into their privacy um, policies as well. What you can do is you can get the test, 
get your results and then tell them to delete your, your results so that they don't even have access to it anymore. Or you can consent that they can have access to it, but it's anonymized. So they have your DNA, but it's just for their data set so they can look. Because a lot of it's using AI and artificial intelligence to go through all of these data of all the gene variants. So you could allow it for that, or you could say no. So you can be completely anonymous. You can ask them to delete it. Or there's other websites where you could donate your genes to put it to find out if you're connected to other people. So it's really up to the individual what you want to do. But before you picking one over another, you definitely want to look at their privacy policies because we're, we're talking about like the what makes you you. So you want to make sure you protect that that DNA uh, in the event for not just yourself, but for your family, too, because that's how they can link back to you is through your DNA, obviously. I just feel like there's a moment where you're walking downtown Vancouver through the thriving metropolis of Surrey, maybe. And there's this little tiny bearded kid <laughs> with jet black hair in a white V-neck T-shirt walking towards you, talking about gardening and and automatic sprinklers. And you see this kid walk by and you're like, whoa, what happened? Oh, that's where your DNA test went. They cloned you. Well, they, there's been some very interesting uh, stories about these genetic tests where people find out that their dad is not their real dad. I don't know if you've ever seen some of these stories online, um, but it's, it's interesting that Marvi Povich got into that with his own kit now to see yeah, if you're the yeah. father. Yeah. Oh, I those think are that, amazing uh, videos. Though, it's like, yeah. It, uh, it's the it, worst it, of TV, it, but it's so good. <laughs> it is so good. It is so good. But these, I'm, I'm very, very impressed by how far this category has advanced over the last couple of years. Like one thing I learned from this test, and it said you're going to have a predisposition to tendinopathy in your lower extremities and upper extremities. And I have Achilles injuries and wrist injuries. And it came up in this DNA test. And something like that's really valuable because I know that when I exercise, I got to be more mindful of not, you know, using heavier weights or giving myself some more recovery time because I just have a frenetic or genetic predisposition to having injuries in my tendons. I did not know about this, you know, I suspected it, but a test like this would verify something like that. So it can be very, very useful having these kind of tests, even food intake control. It said I have a high tendency to overeat. And that's mm -hmm. that that kind of information's inside your DNA. So it makes me realize that I can't eat to when I'm full because I naturally will just overeat. Um, so a well, lot of this information can be very valuable. It's going to be difficult to prove it, um, you know, to believe 100%. Because, you know, when you get your dog tested, you do that stuff. And it's like, you have a great day. And you're like, nope, yeah. pretty sure it's a chihuahua. Like, they've got it wrong before. And I find I'm a little cautious because it's great that it sets you on a path with things like, um, you know, blood glucose, diabetes, all those things yeah. to be careful. I mean, that's never going to hurt you to back off sugar, right? So that's a good thing. But it could set in, mo we as humans spend so much time seeking evidence to find our righteousness. And I find that this is, this conversation gets a little bit dangerous when it just coincidentally could reaffirm something and not even be accurate and be like, oh, yep, I'm, you know, I'm a slow learner or whatever. And then you tell yourself that for the rest of your life. And that, yeah. you know, that, that could be concerning. Although I, I, I do, I know why you did this. Like, I know why, like, I'm going to call you out now because yeah. you can tell according to this test, whether or not you will go bald and <laughs> you have this big luscious head of hair yeah. And I know why you you did it to find out if you were going to lose it or not, didn't you? Admit it. No, no. I'll tell you the reason why I did this <laughs> test. Uh, it wasn't but it did say that. It does tell you if you'll go bald. It says I have a low probability of going bald and I do have a head of hair, so that was right. The reason I did it, Shane, was every time I get my my uh, blood tested in a lab, it always gets flagged from my blood sugar. It always comes up and the doctor always asks like, "Do you have a family history?" And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, yeah, well, it's just kind of your blood sugar seems really high. And it, so then I was like, well, this test can measure your blood glucose levels. So then I was like, oh, I'm going to take this DNA test. And sure enough, it says that I'm going to have higher than average blood glucose. 
just at the DNA level. So this is very, very helpful because now it's going to change the way I eat. I'm going to try to avoid sugars because when I talk to doctors, they're just like, it's just in your genes. But I really wanted some kind of a solution on how should I eat knowing that, you know, I'm 10, I have a, I'm pretty much pre-diabetic. I was born pre-diabetic. So how, how should I eat? And that this test kind of confirmed what I thought and what my, my blood tests were, were suggesting. Handy, andymedia.com, shiftheads.ca. You can see the video there. Follow Andy's YouTube channel too. That'd be great. We got a text message from the Sandy man in Cochrane. Andy, he says this with uh, your DNA test you did and your Punjabi background now with 9% Irish in it. He said, with Andy's new found Irish background, he'll be planting more potatoes in his garden. That's right. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and skip, and changing from skipping to river dance. So there you yeah, go. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's where all my footwork comes from, right? From the... That could be it. Yep. I love that. See, it all makes um, sense now. Yeah. Watch the video if you want to learn more. Andy did a DNA test. And it was less about, there was heritage in it, but it was less about that. It was more about predisposition, which is fascinating. It's in the video at shiftheads.ca for you to check out as well. Okay, next here on the list with handyandymedia.com, influencers come in all forms. In fact, we have a conversation scheduled for later this week or early next week about influencer babies that were forced to be influencers yeah. because they were born into into because their parents basically posted their entire lives online because we've been yep. doing it that long now. And uh, you're going to the other end of the spectrum in this conversation, though. You're going into the, uh, into the uh, let's call them uh, more veteran users of the internet. Um, and you have a real cool name for them. Yeah, one of the hottest trends in social media right now are grandfluencers. So these are senior influencers who are jumping on to the creator economy, which is growing like crazy right now. The creator economy is worth $250 billion today, and it could double in size to $480 billion by 2027. Now, typically when we think about creators, we think about people within the ages of like 18 and 29, but people 65 and plus are joining social media more and more. Back in 2014, there was 21% of people, you know, 65 and plus were on social media. Uh, in 2021, that doubled to 45%. So it's no wonder that you're seeing these older social media users start to create their own accounts on both TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And it makes a lot of sense because when you're talking about these older creators, they're just inherently more authentic. They have a lot of life experience. They have a lot of skills. And they're not only creating a, um, a community around people their own age, but younger people are starting to gravitate towards these older content creators and, and following them. And, and they, they just find that they're very interesting people because they're authentic. You can relate to them. They're like your, your grandparents, except they're online. And I think this is a, a really wholesome part of social media that a, a lot of people should take notice of. Uh, it's a fascinating notion. Although my nephew, who is a millennial, and he says that my parents, the boomers, killed Facebook. Facebook was cool until yeah. the boomers showed up. Are we looking forward at a, a boomer destruction of Instagram now? Well, it, it, it's it's interesting because the boomers are on Facebook, but they're, they're, there's not much engagement. They're not creating the content on there. They, they don't have that same kind of content. It's sure the like older. Memes, though, can tell you that. Sure, like yeah, posting well, memes. they love the memes and sharing that, but they're not creating that that inherent content of say their 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 skills, their passions, or and um, interests that they have. But with TikTok, because the algorithm on TikTok, you could really grow a following quite quickly, and you're seeing a lot of these what what they call grandfluencers join join places like TikTok and get these huge followings. And I think it's great because if you have a passion, like a lot of people that I follow for gardening advice, they're typically older because I know they've had a lot of experience. You know, gardening is one of those things that you, you do once a year and the more years of life you have, the more experience you have. And uh, I, I just think it's really great. I think that's kind of what social media needed, especially these young people who aren't very authentic. You know, they, they put on a persona when they're behind the camera Whereas these grandfluencers, they are inherently authentic. And I think that's why a lot of people, young and old, gravitate towards them online. Uh, yeah, well, less vanity, one might say. 
<laughs> not to just call it out for what it is. Um, but this is kind of neat too, because what you're getting is, and this is stereotypes, but allow me the space to do this. Cause I think this is really kind of cool. You are getting the eccentrics. You are getting the, um, the people who just don't give a damn anymore. Like yeah. to, 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 to your point about vanity is that there are also people that have spent their whole lives raising kids, having jobs, they're retired now, and they could just couldn't give a damn what yeah. anybody else thinks. And they are expressing themselves and, and making up for lost time. So you do see some wild clothing. You see some wild notions. And yet there's this natural authenticity that comes with it. So it it's almost... It's almost very entertaining that way that you get that. And the character that came to mind when I read your notes for today was Robin Williams' character from the Birdcage movie. And um, not that that he wasn't a grand, he was older in the in the show, but he wasn't a grandparent grandparent like that. And it has nothing to do with the premise of that movie. But that sort of character don't care what anybody thinks. I'm just going to be me and share it with the world now. That's really what we're looking at, which is yep. cool. Yep. And that comes with a lot of life experience. And I think a lot of younger people could learn a thing or two if they follow these gramfluencers online rather than their contemporaries, you know, follow people that are different from you. You might learn something. And I think that's, that's a really good thing about it. Is this to you in your eyes from what you've seen in following this topic that um, it maybe starts to reinvent the listening to old people's stories. And I don't mean the cool stories that are, you know, social media savvy. I mean, more of the back in my day, you know, uh, a new way to connect with some of these, you know, older generation stories that sort of have been lost for a little while. And I think we're losing that art. I, I agree. Like uh, for me, like I follow like carpenters who have like little tips and tricks, little handy things that they've learned on the job site. Things that like, I never knew that you would have a hand-me-down that maybe your grandfather or your dad or your uncle would teach you maybe one day. Here, now you can learn uh, a lot from someone like that or even cooking and, and recipe ideas. There's just so much stuff online that, that older people who have time can contribute. And the fact that they are, is just a really refreshing thing to see. Uh, this is so cool. HandyAndyMedia.com. Give it a go. Andy, can you share on the Facebook group a couple of those older influ grandfluencers that you're talking about? Just to give some examples about what, what it is that you're you're looking at too? Would you mind? Yeah, absolutely. I would love to. Okay. That'd be cool. All right. So there you go. Check it out. And you got to watch the video where Andy finds out that he's Irish. So, and so much more. Uh, thanks for being here, brother. Thanks, Shane. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you? Are you? Are you? Okay. 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 Are you okay with? 877-399-9898. The phone number for you to share your thoughts on these stories as well. Are you okay with? Um, quarantine. Ooh, that could be too soon. Is it because already people have nostalgia for first lockdown? It's the strangest thing. Some, sometimes mm. on TikTok, I will see romantic, nostalgic videos of people reminding themselves of what it was like those first two weeks when everybody was stuck inside. We were all watching movies online together and playing video games. And we all thought, hey, this will be over in a month. And then it was the worst uh, <laughs> decade. Nightmare that like. never ended. Nightmare that never ended. Um, so I did yeah. romanticize it a little bit because I suppose when it all first started, we, my daughter and I, because it was uh, March and it was snowy. And my daughter and I decided that we were going to have Christmas. So we went to Walmart and we bought a turkey and we bought all the stuff for Christmas dinner. And we took 20 bucks each mm -hmm. and we had to buy a gift for each other in Walmart. And we did it at the same time. So we were hiding from each other to not see what we were buying. And then we uh, put up the Christmas tree and turned on the Christmas lights and uh, had a Christmas day, Christmas morning, Christmas day, my daughter and I. So yeah, I guess I romanticize it a little bit. That's, that's a cool part. My, mm -hmm. I can remember so vividly and so fondly like watching Tiger King. 
when that had just come out for like first yeah, lockdown and yeah. it just it and you know what we thought would last a couple of months and then it just the mentality and the cabin fever set in and whew, the nightmare that never ended hopefully, yeah. hopefully no more of yeah. those the neat thing though i guess as i look back on that is that when someone you know when callie's 30 or whatever she'll be like hey we've had 31 christmases together because <laughs> we had one extra yeah yeah because right. you got one extra that's cool it's kind of fun well yeah. a, a small co county in our favorite place has been under quarantine recently for a pretty staggering reason you guessed it it's time for us to go on a trip to florida what does it mean to be from florida florida straight drip A part of a Florida county was placed under quarantine last week uh, as officials responded to a recent giant African snail sighting in the area. Yes, you heard it correctly. A Florida county was under quarantine because of a snail. They'll crawl all over your house. They, they leave slime trails all over the house. Dr. Trevor Smith is with the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. He tells us so far they've found about 190 of them. The state set up a quarantine zone in Miramar, south of Pembroke Road to the county line, and on each side of the turnpike. There are also two treatment areas to eradicate the snails. It's an agricultural pest. If it's a fruit or a vegetable that you or I like, the, the snail likes it also. They feed on landscape plants as well. They Dr. Smith explains, aside from eating at least 500 different types of plants, the snails feed on stucco homes for calcium, and they pose a health risk to people and pets. Wow, they suck on your house. They will literally eat the siding off your house. Huh. Uh, that was from CBS Miami, by the way. Ooh. Mm, I feel like... Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. You think so? I'm... I'm, I'm should yeah, we? I'm feeling what you're it feeling. Because it was yep. CBS Miami? Mm -hmm. We should. Yeah, okay. Uh, oh, I wasn't ready with my uh, my snail pun. Put my sunglasses on. It's a really slimy affair. I don't know. Something like that. <laughs> um, That's pretty good, actually. <laughs> Florida's agriculture officials have contended that the giant African land snail or contended with the giant African land snail before and in the past referred to it as one of the most damaging mollusk subtypes in the world because <laughs> there's lots these snails mean business though the snail is unusually large growing to be as long as eight inches as an adult and they can procreate in enormous quantities as it lays thousands of eggs at a time it poses significant threats to vegetation, consuming at least 500 different types of plants, as well as paint and stucco. Giant snails, which our authorities believe likely to have arrived in Florida when someone brought it home to the U.S. as a pet. Yeah, Way to go, Tiger King. Um, they're notoriously difficult to eradicate, and getting rid of them entirely can take years. Florida's Agriculture Department has recorded only two instances where a snail was fully eradicated since infestations were first reported back in Florida in the 1960s. I also no forgot to write this. Um, they can cause meningitis. Oh, that's <laughs> just all. to add, just to add to the terrifying nature of this uh, this creature. So yeah, these uh, if you see these things, I would say a quarantine is probably warranted. Hmm. All right. Very good. You better hurry. Get yourself inside. Snails are coming. Mm -hmm. That's a slow, a slow never. Okay. Next, uh, we're going to go just down one journal, by the way. So I'm not being really clear here on the path. Our next, are you okay with starts completely out of context. Lois, other families fight too, right? Not this much. Do you think maybe we should think about getting it? It is what it is. Let's just get Stewie to college and go from there. <laughs> are you okay with... The divorce. The D word. Ugh. It's weird. It's like, uh, you know, my parents are divorced and I know so many other families whose parents are divorced and it's kind of just, it's like 50-50 shot. It feels like I'm curious what, how my generation is going to fare with the divorce numbers, if it'll be better, if it'll be worse and yeah. what the biggest causes are. Like, it's just. Oh, I can tell you right like now for your something... generation. For my generation, I'm curious. Oh, it's going to be video games. Video games is going to be the cause of divorce for your generation. 
Yeah, yeah. Depending on if they're playing against each other, which is an option, and the fight. No, no. It's when you have kids and money and mortgages, and one person plays too many video games, and the other person's trying to pay bills or raise children. That is going to be the death of the millennium. I I don't disagree at all. Yeah, I don't disagree at all. Yeah. Uh, I don't recommend it. Uh, Sometimes you can't make it work, um, but you gotta you gotta be clear on doing all the things, and it does take two people to tango. uh, Excuse the cliche, but it really is. Um, it really is a thing as trucker Dan says so eloquently on text marriage is the number one cause of divorce Um, Kevin Costner is going through a pretty wild divorce right now in a statement shared with ET a rep for the actor said it is with great sadness that circumstances beyond his control have transpired which have resulted in Mr. Costner having to participate in a dissolution of marriage action Meanwhile, a report by People claimed that Costner was not the driving force behind the decision to divorce, with a source telling the outlet it was not anything that he wanted or sought, and if he could change the situation, he would. Hmm. That's from ET Canada, by the way, and it's only getting messier. <laughs> That's not a typo. That's just messier in French. Oh, right? yeah, good. It's getting messier. Um, messy, in a court messy, filing... Messy. Submitted Friday to the Santa Barbara County Superior Court, Baumgartner asked the Yellowstone actor to pay $326,300 a month in child support for the three shared children. That's $100,000 a kid per month, which is $30,000 per week per kid per month. She also reportedly requested $460,600 in lawyer's fees and $197,400 in forensic accounting costs. According to NBC News, who obtained the legal paperwork, Baumgartner, 41, also wants Kevin Costner, 68, to pay for private school tuition, extracurriculars, and health care expenses. Those ones are pretty typical. Baumgartner claimed in court filing that she has no income as a result of being a stay-at-home parent. She wrote that because of Costner's long-term exceedingly high income, the family's lifestyle is extraordinary. Earlier this month, Costner complained to the court that Baumgartner has not moved out of his Southern California house, despite a clause in their prenuptial agreement necessitating she vacate. Ooh, fancy. Yeah, no, like the deal was that if they broke up, she had, that was his house. He got to keep it. And now she's like, meh, I'll stay. It's going to get messy. That gets ugly. Messier. It's going to get messier. Messier and messier. Um, Yeah, that's ugly. That's not cool. I, I feel for the guy. Um, and you know, a whole other conversation, um, about how the system really does not support men by its design in this either. And, uh, it is difficult as a, as the, the dad in some of these scenarios to even get a voice. It's, it's wild. Uh, I'll never forget the time where we had a moderator and the moderator actually said to my ex-wife, she said, don't worry, the children are better with the mom anyway. And this was the moderator. And fortunately, um, my ex-wife had integrity and came to me and said, we need, we need a new moderator uh, because that's not cool. Now, clearly, wow. that doesn't happen for everybody, so I was lucky. Uh, but I don't recommend it. Although, if you uh, need to start over because it's not working, uh, yeah, be clear on it or you pay the price for a long time. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.